0: In 1 Corinthians, there chapter 1, verses 26 through 31, our passage for today that we'll be looking at. Verse 31 says, Let the one who boasts boast in the Lord. If we were to go back to the King James Version, the old King James, it says, He who glories, let him glory in the Lord. I love that. I love that idea that we're to be boasting. In fact, when it says there in, the, in verse 31, so that as it is written, and I, and I had to go look, and I kind of looked it up. It's over in Jeremiah chapter nine. You can just listen. But Jeremiah chapter nine, verses 23 and 24, where Paul is getting these, this phrase from as he expounds on the word there in 1 Corinthians to the believers at Corinth. In J- Jeremiah chapter nine, verse 23, it says, thus says the Lord, Pretty powerful message, isn't it? And so this morning, as we come together, as we gather as a body of believers, one of the things that we need to understand this morning is that what everything about that we're doing today, it's all about existing for the glory of God. I I dealt with this a few weeks back in August, I think it was first of August, where where I talked about that we exist and we exist for the glory of God. That's our purpose, that's who we are that as children of God, as God's people, we exist for his glory. I know that everything in this world tells us different, but we as God's people have to kinda push some of those messages out and get the right message, right? That we exist for him, for his glory. So today when we come together, we might boast about a lot of things, but one thing we're gonna boast about today, and it's the only thing, is we're gonna boast in the Lord. We're gonna dedicate ourselves to boast in him. We're gonna boast about the ministry. We can do that here at NBC. We can boast about the ministry. What can we boast about? That it's not about us, it's about him. I promise you that if I wasn't here, if God were to take me home right now, this ministry will still go on. Why? Because it's about him. It's not about me. It's not about Buckles or the elders. It's about him. And we're gonna boast in the Lord. We're going to boast about him with the breath that we've been given. We can boast of his goodness towards towards us, that we get to sit in a nice room, right? I've been in Tanzania. They don't get to sit in rooms like this. We can boast that God's been good to us. We can boast about the homes that we have. We can boast about the cars that we have and the clothes that we have because God's been more than abundant in goodness towards us. Because if we're gonna boast, if we're gonna glory, the one thing we're gonna glory in is the one true God who has made himself known, amen? That he is our God and we are his people. So we acknowledge him and we boast in him. And if there's one thing for sure that we're gonna do in our lives, what are we gonna do? We're gonna boast in him. I'm not gonna boast in me. If you know much about me, you realize there's not much to boast about. It's to boast about who God is. So as we gather and celebrate our purpose this morning and our existence, it is that we're going to boast in him. And that's Paul's argument here. When he says, so that as it is written, let the one who boasts, boast in the Lord. And he says this in verse 31. But his argument, he began back up in verse, well, early in the chapter, but what we're looking at today is in verse 26. In verse 26 through 29, Paul says here, for consider your calling, brothers, not many of you were wise according to the worldly standards. Now, that's important. Not according to the worldly standards. as the standards by which the world has set as what is valuable. Not many were powerful. Not many were of noble birth. I want to stop there for a second. I want us to understand that as we move forward, why, is we, why are we boasting in the Lord? Because we're boasting in him because God has chosen us in our weakness. Now stop and think about that for a minute. That it's in our weakness by which we have been chosen. Not in the not in the powerful, not in the astounding, but in, in the in the weakness of our lives, God has chosen us. I think that's just an astounding thought. That we might not be great in the world standards, but this God chooses the one that He loves to use as the one who has as a contrite heart, a humble heart. I think the more that we begin to understand our weakness, the more that we understand the likelihood of how God is going to choose to use us. God looked for a contrite heart, a humble heart, So when he says, not many wise, not many powerful, not many of noble birth, he's talking about the worldly standards. And then I read in verse 27, it's so powerful, very first two words of verse 27, but God. I love the but God's in the scriptures. If you're ever ever reading and it says, but God, man, underline it, circle it. Take, a, take note of the passage and what it's talking about. But God, he, he, he didn't choose based on worldly standards, but God chose what is foolish in the world to shame the wise. God chose what is weak in the world to shame the strong. I find this so amazing because God chose the foolish in the world to shame the wise. This is one of the great marvels of the wisdom of God if you think about it. That God doesn't base his life or his choices and his work on the standards of the world, but he chose that which is, is weak. I remember as a kid, and probably many of you went through this too, you know, you, you, you're getting together and you pick two guys and they're going to pick two teams, right? And so what does everybody do? They line up over here and you have one captain of the team here and the other one over here and they begin to, they begin to pick, right? And so you start going down the line. And what's everyone doing? They're going to like, oh, please, please pick me because nobody wants to be the last one picked. Now, when it was like football, I was always one of the first picked. but there were some other things I wasn't always first. I can remember a teacher one time, we were in a class and <clears throat> they were going to do a spelling bee competition. And if you know anything about me and spelling, they just don't go together. Praise God for word, right? I mean, because I type it in there. A lot of times I don't know how to spell the word. I just start typing how I think it's spelled. And it usually gives me, a, gives me a, how it's supposed to be spelled, not the way I think it's supposed to be spelled. But I can remember one time we were in a class, and so they picked the two best spellers in the class, right? And they all know who the best spellers are in the class, and I can remember as I'm standing there, and I'm just thinking, oh my gosh, you know. I was, I was making facial and signs to them like, hey, you choose me because the consequences might not be so great if you don't choose me because I didn't want to be the last one. Because we start ranking ourselves by ability and skill. And the reality is, dear people of God, as we grow on, as adults in this world, we do the exact same thing. We begin to rank people, Right? Begin to rank them based on degrees, affluence, you know, your skill, your wealth, the celebrity, the strong, the athlete. We begin to rank them because what we begin to do, what does the world do according to its standards? It ranks the strong, the, the important people. And that which the world considers not important, God says, those are the ones I choose. It, it was so strong in this over and over again in the world, what we, the message that we're taught overtly or subconsciously is that the world is all about the survival of the important. I'm not the only one in this room that has felt it. Many of you have, I can tell by the responses in your faces. You know those folks that you've seen who seem to climb and we begin to look at them and we think somehow, man, if only I could be like that. But today the word of God is gonna go contrary to the world and it's gonna tell the world they could not be more wrong in the way that they value people. The word of God today is sending us a message that the ways of God are not the ways of humanity. Understand that. That God doesn't do things according to our systems of the world. God doesn't do things according to our thoughts, our ways. And God's sending a message that his ways are are not according to the world. His ways are so much higher, so much greater. That God is advancing his kingdom. And what I mean by advancing his kingdom, the message of the gospel of Jesus Christ. That the message of the gospel that his death, his burial, and his resurrection, that because he lives, we live. Because of our faith in him, we stand in the righteousness of Christ. The message of the the gospel, the advancing of his kingdom, not because of the influential, not because of the smart, not because of the powerful, not because of the rich, not because of who the world values, but because of who God chooses. He's advancing his kingdom through those the world would disregard. Disregard through those who the world might count unworthy. It's not the proud that says, hey, I got this. I'll make this happen. It's not the proud God uses. It's the humble. It's the one who comes before God and says, I have nothing else. I have nothing else but you. Those are the ones that God chooses and uses. It is our weakness that becomes our greatest qualification to serve. See, God works through people who say, I'm fragile. God works through people who say, I'm weak. God works through people who understand the struggle of sin daily. God works through people who say, I'm not good enough. He works through people who say, I need you, God. I need you. I need you, I, I fall on my face, I need you, oh God. I know many of you, in fact, I had someone that corrected me in the, at the end of the first service and, I, and said, Greg, I got your point, but I want you to understand, I know, I know many of you think, hey, the, Greg, you get up here, you don't have mind talking. You know, every week I go through this process with God Every week I go, God, why are you doing this? Because there's a part of me that's compelled. I want to preach. And there's part of me that fears it totally. And the fear that I have is the reality that if I stand here today and God doesn't show up, then you just heard a bunch of nonsense from somebody who doesn't matter in this world. And every week I come to God and I tell him, I need you. Sometimes you watch me and even, even while the music's going, I'm wandering around. Why? Because I, I can't, I'm just like, God, you got to show up. You got to speak to us, your people. This isn't about human wisdom. This isn't about human strength. This isn't about human wealth. This is about an almighty God who chooses what the world is disregarded and does the remarkable. Think about the 12. Who did he choose? He chose a tax collector. Can you believe that? A tax collector, one of the most hated of his day, and fishermen, the uneducated, the ones the world did not consider worthy. He chose them to change a world. You see, our weakness isn't a reason not to. Our weakness is actually a qualification for God to use us. So when we say, I can't teach that class, but God. Love those but gods in the scriptures, right? But God. I I, I don't know if I could start a small group, but God. I don't know if I can reach my neighbor for Jesus Christ, but God. I'm not good enough to, to serve or do anything, but God. You see why we boast? When we boast, we boast in the Lord because it's not about our qualifications. It's about our humility and our weakness. When we yield ourselves to him, when we realize there's nothing else that I can do but to depend on the Lord, that he is my strength and he's all that I have. God takes what the world considers foolish Foolish, and he uses it for his glory. This is how God chose to work. God didn't choose the great things of the world to to, to make a point. He chose that which is weak who would recognize. It's like that old hymn that when we're falling helplessly in the everlasting arms of God, it isn't until you are falling into the everlasting arms of God that all you have is him that you will realize that that's all you need. It's when we go through those tough times and those difficulties that we begin to realize the power and the source and the strength of our God in our lives. I often will tell folks, I'll say to them, I'll say right when they're going through some really difficult times, I'll say, look, you're going to learn some things about God that you never saw before. You're going to experience his love in a way that you never experienced before. You're going to experience his grace. You're going to experience his mercy. You're going to experience some of those things that you haven't experienced before. How do I know that? Because that's how God has done it with me. Over and over, when I look back in my life, it wasn't the great victories where where I was seeing the great hand of God. It was in the times when I was at my lowest. It was at the times when I didn't think I could pick myself up anymore that I felt like, God, you were all that I had that I began to realize he was all I needed. You see, in verses 27 and 28, he doesn't just say, but God, but it says, but God chose what is foolish in this world to shame the wise. God chose what is weak in the world to shame the strong. God, verse 28, God chose what is low and despised in the world, even things that are not, to bring to nothing things that are. It's part of God's plan. God is going to bring those things think there's something to nothing because that's his intent because without him who are we without him what do i have to boast you know this world it scoffs at christianity like crazy i mean like i i pray for our kids i pray for our students on, on a regular basis man i just i just pray for them i pray for our children I pray that they get the word in their lives. Why do you think Juana's program is so important? Because they memorize the scripture and they get it into their hearts. Why do you think it's so important that we pray for our children? Because the message that's coming into their lives over and over again. I mean, the world just scoffs at Christianity. What? You believe the Bible's true? Do you really believe Jesus died, rose again? I mean, people, we're going to talk about in a minute. I mean, God sending his son to die to, to satisfy. I mean, all these things that are being thrown in to question our faith, to scoff at what we believe. Because the world doesn't value what God has done. But one day, every person will stand before God and God will bring to nothing those that think they're something. That's why Jesus said... Those who find their life loses it and those who lose their life for my sake will find it see if you come to a place where you know that you can only trust in Jesus that is the one God uses that is the power of the weakness Those who say, I can't, God, I need you. This is so backwards from what the world has told us. The world has told us to be stronger. The world has told us to be tougher. The world has told us to be wiser. The world has told us, you can do this. You have the power within you to make this happen. You just need to believe in yourself. And it's so opposite from what God has told us. But in Jesus' We find there the strength. It's in our weakness that we find the grace of God in our lives. It's there when in the, in the weak times of our life and the weakness of our understanding and our humility that we begin to embrace grace and we embrace who God is in our lives. It's then we begin to realize that Jesus is everything and you will see God do things that you cannot believe. You cannot I remember when I was a a kid, my mom, when she was a young girl, had her uh, thyroid taken out, and they didn't know implications of that. So my mom struggled and oftentimes got misdiagnosed, bipolar, depression, all those kinds of things. She several times was in and out of the mental hospital because of all the different issues she was going as a result. It was amazing. In the 80s, they started finding out about certain meds that could be taken, and her whole life changed in that regard. But I can remember I was in high school, junior, senior year, probably my senior year, because I was really getting excited about my faith, and I was really starting to seek after God. And My mom had an episode, ended up in the mental hospital. One of the things they have family do is come in for family counseling and different things. So you're sitting in this counseling session, as family members, and and they brought in some of us that were high school and, and teens and all that uh, to talk to the counselor. And I remember as we're sitting in there, the counselor began to ask us how we were dealing with the different issues. Well, I was, man, I was growing. I was reading my Bible. I was just, man, I just couldn't get enough of God. And so I shared that with the counselor, and the counselor told me, I remember I was telling him, I've read my Bible, praying, and the counselor told me, he says, yeah, um, you know, faith or Christianity is a good crutch. And I've, and, I've, and I've never forgotten that. And the reality is when I'm sitting here and I'm looking at this passage, I'm thinking, a crutch? Man, it's so much worse than a crutch. I mean, with a crutch, I can, if I have one crutch, I can still kind of walk, give me two, and I'm still, I'm still going maybe more like a wheelchair, you know? Like, well, no, I'm still using my arms, you know it's so bad that that Jesus is everything. I'm laid out without Jesus, there is no life for me. He's everything to me. It's not that. It's not like I somehow found a faith that kind of helps me get through life, dear people of God. I'm betting everything on it, and you know what? The reality is, I'm not even betting. I am confident about who God is. Jesus is everything to me. That's why in Colossians, in chapter three, verses three and four, it says, your life is hidden. Where's your life? It's hidden with Christ in God. And in the very next verse, Paul goes on and he says, and when Christ, who is your life, understand that. Your life is in Christ, your life is Christ. I don't, there's no other source. There's there's no other way of living. He is my life. Ephesians chapter two, verses one through 10. We know verses eight and nine really well. But in the first three verses, he says you were dead in your trespasses and sins. He's talking about the condition that we were in without Christ. In verse four, you know what he says? It's one of my favorite little phrases, but God, I love it, who's rich in mercy and, and, and all. And then he says, the verb is, but God hath made you alive. God made you alive. I have life because of Christ. He is my life. He's not a crutch. He is the very life and soul of my existence. He is everything. This is why Jesus said, whoever finds his life loses it, but whoever loses his life for my sake finds it. Jesus also said, whoever does not take up his cross and follow me is not worthy of me. Jesus also said, whoever exalts himself will be humbled, and whoever humbles himself will be what? Exalted. You see, this is the irony of, of 1 Corinthians chapter, six, or chapter 1, verses 16 through 31. The irony here is that weakness is powerful. Because it's in our weakness that it brings the power of God into our lives. It's in our weakness that the power of God works. We are made strong because of him in our weakness. Weakness makes us aware of our need for grace. Weakness makes us aware of grace and we embrace it. You will not know the power of God in your life until you understand your need for God. You will not. We all like to juggle everything. You know, we've learned how to live and we've got our work life, we've got our home life, we've got our church life, we've got all these little, and we're we're balancing them all and we're different in each one. God forbid. Because our source in our life is him and him alone. It isn't until you understand your need for God that you understand the power of God in your life. I was a young boy, I was at church. My parents were frustrated with me. Didn't know what to do with me, so they decided to take me to church. Maybe that'll help me, right? Um, They were lucky, uh, I guess lucky, uh, providence of God, because I went that Sunday and I heard this message. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life, and no man cometh to the Father but by me. My heart was pierced. In that moment, there was a weakness. There was a reality that I could not deal with this life. Outside of Jesus, and I received Christ into my life. My whole life began to change. My whole life began to change, and there's just been a series of these moments in my life, over and over again. There's been times when, when I wanted to give up and quit and just, and yet God, by His strength. he sees me through. I can remember one time I was over there on Mayfield turning left onto Cooper. It was back when Tippins was there for all you old timers, you know? And I was turning left right there. And I was really going through a difficult time. I was mad. I was upset with God. I was telling God, if you know me, I believe I just got to tell God what I think because he already knows what I think anyway. So I just kind of tell him. And we have this conversation and he usually straightens me out in the process. But I was having one of these days, right? And I had the radio on. It was a Christian radio station. This song came up and there was a phrase, my Redeemer, my Redeemer cometh. And I remember being mad and I shut the radio off and I was like, where's my Redeemer, God? Where's it coming from? Where's the help? You're not there. I don't. And I was just frustrated. And I remember turning left. I'm driving down Cooper before I even got to the mall and I began to go, Lord, I don't believe that. I know you're my Redeemer. I know you're my help. I can't see it right now, I don't understand it. I know that I've gotta trust you. I know that God, I gotta grow through you. See, it's in the moments of weakness that we begin to see God's power. Weakness hurts, trials hurt. They're painful, they're devastating sometimes. It's difficult. Fear comes in and it can be overwhelming. And we got to pull those things away and we go back to who God is. Who are we in Jesus? And in our weakness, he's made strong. It's in our weakness that the power of God begins to work in our life. It's in our weakness that he raises us up. This is why we boast in the Lord. This is why we boast in the Lord. What am I going to boast in? My strength, my smarts, my abilities? No way, no way. No way, I'm gonna boast in the Lord. See, we don't only boast in the Lord because in our weakness, he chose us. We boast in the Lord because he established us in Jesus. Look what he says in verse 30. And it says, and because of him, that's God, he's referring back to God. In fact, let me back up. I kind of went right past it. Verse 29, this is a verse that you should put on your mirror in the morning or, or on your desk, someplace to look at, so that no human being might boast in the presence of God. Why did God choose the weak to confound the wise. Why? Why? So that we don't stand in the presence of God and boast. Bottom line. And he goes on in verse 30 and he says, referring to God and because of him, because of God, you are in Christ Jesus. That's so important that you understand that your source of your life is in Christ. That you're walking out into the world this week, your source, your, your established Life is in Jesus. That your life is in Christ. It's not in. It's not it, your identity is not in anything else. I think it was Tim Keller had a post. I think I saw it on Facebook this week. Um, boy, I want to go blank. Why did I even bring it up? Right? You know. <laughs> but um, it says if your identity is in your business, you will. You will. Your success will make you proud. But your fail, your your success will go to your head, and your failure will go to your heart. How true is that? Have, are, are we doing this, dear people of God? We, we have these great moments, and we're crashed, and great moments and crash. Well, when your identity is in Jesus, you see the difference? Because Jesus is the same yesterday, today, and forevermore. When your identity is in Jesus. So he is our source. And so Paul identifies four things here in verse 30. He says, who became to us wisdom. From God. In other words, when we receive Christ in Christ, we begin to see the world from God's perspective and we begin to value the world. We begin to value life from His perspective. Example our world tells us to accumulate, right? Accumulate, gather, get more, get more. Nicer house, nicer, more cars, more money in the bank, more, right? Because all those things bring happiness and it brings value. It makes you important in the world's value system. Bring all those things in, right? But what does wisdom in Christ say? Is not life more than the food you eat and the clothes you wear? Dear people of God, look at the birds of the air. See how they're they're dressed, how beautiful they are. They They don't worry, they don't toil. God provides for them. Look at the flowers and the beauty of them. Do they fret? Are you not more valuable than they are? See, when we receive Christ and we're in Christ, we have the wisdom of Christ and we begin to look at the world from God's perspective. We begin to understand those things. The next thing he says there is righteousness. Why do we need righteousness? Think about that. Why do we need righteousness? Because we're unrighteous. We don't like to talk about sin. We don't like to talk down or tell us all the ugliness in our lives. Well, guess what, dear people? If you're around me, I got a lot of ugliness in my life. I've made a lot of mistakes in my life. I need righteousness. You need righteousness. Is there anyone in here who's never sinned? Uh, don't raise your hand. We'll have to talk afterwards, right? Yeah. Right? Because we've all sinned and come short of the glory of God. You see, here's something you need to understand about your God. Your God is Holy. He is holy. That's who he is. It is true to his character. God will always be true to his character. Therefore, he can't let anything unrighteous into his presence. Think about that. If he's going to be true to his character, he's not going to let unrighteousness into his presence. Otherwise, he wouldn't be who he is. So how does sin and unrighteousness get into his presence, into heaven? How? it doesn't it's only through righteousness and the righteousness of the life of jesus that is why jesus was made our righteousness because only he could live a righteous life we call it the great exchange it's second corinthians chapter 5 verse 21 It says, for our sakes. I love that phrase, for our sakes. You know, when everyone's saying, well, why would God send his son to make himself happy and forgive? And, you know, it's it's the foolishness of the world that comes up with some of these questions, right? Well, you know why God did that? It wasn't to satisfy him. It was because of you. It says, for our sake. God, he, he made him, Christ. God made Jesus, who knew no sin, to be sin, that we, his people, for our sakes, might be made in the righteousness of God. That we might stand in his presence. God was so moved by his love and by his grace and by his mercy that he had sent his son, that through his son there might be redemption, there might be righteousness, righteousness that we might enter into the presence of, of God, that we might have a relationship with him. There's no other way. There's no other way. It's the great exchange. This is the love of God. And this is what God is calling you to right now. You might be thinking your life is all about your job or your, your work or that, that property, that house, those things. You might be thinking that's what your life is all about, but God isn't calling you to that. He may in his goodness and his mercy and in his kindness give you those things, but he isn't calling you to those things. He's calling you to a right relationship with him in righteousness through his son, Jesus Christ. Amen? I hope we're awake. See why we boast in the Lord? Next one he says, not only righteousness and sanctification. Easy way, we don't have time to break down this whole world. There's word, there's books written on this word, but easiest way I can think of it is it's becoming more like Jesus. It's talking about transformation in our lives. If you are are righteous in Jesus, there will be transformation. I'm amazed at the number of people who come to Christ and think there's nothing gonna change. How can you think that? There's a transformation that takes place in our lives. There's a sanctification where when the wisdom of Christ is in your life and his righteousness, God begins to transform you. He who began a good work will complete it unto that day. He begins a transformation in your life to make you more and more and more like his son Jesus. That there's a transformation that takes place that I'm changing I'm a different person, why? Because of Jesus. I love those I'm changing stories I hear where someone says, Greg, man, God, man, there was a time where, but man, by his grace, I responded with love and compassion and I didn't think I could do that. That's the one I preach a lot because I'm always amazed that sometimes when I've responded or when I didn't say what I wanted to say and I'm like, God, you're really working in my life. You're changing me. You're, you're working in my life. That's why I boast in the Lord. The last word there is redemption. When you talk about redemption, if you redeem something, you buy it back. The picture is here that we've been bought back from sin by the blood of Christ. We've been, we've been, we've been bought from the power of sin and death. You understand that iniquity placed us in a position whereby we, all we could face was condemnation and judgment but because of what Jesus did, because of what he did on the cross, his death, his burial, and his resurrection, we now can stand in a place of righteousness because we've been bought from, delivered from, set free. For freedom, Christ has set you free. That's what Jared's going to be preaching on next week. You've been set free. We've been delivered. You go from the idea of being redeemed to righteousness, whereby God declares us righteous, to sanctification, and there's a transformation that's taking place. Do you see how, listen to this, do you see how doctrine can lead to worship? How can you not praise God when you know these things to be true? when you understand your redemption, when you understand your sanctification, when you understand your righteousness, when you understand the wisdom of God in Christ Jesus in your life, how can you not praise his name? Amen? How can you not bend your heart towards him? How can you not bend your knee towards him? How can you not lift up and boast in the Lord? You have to. Because who else has done that? Are you going to boast in your, in your accomplishments? Are you going to boast in your activities? Are you going to boast in your accumulation? God forbid we boast in him. To God be the glory. To him be the praise. We exist for him. It's God's message for us. This is the truth. It's not the truth of the world and its system. This is the truth of his word. And it's God's message for us in his son, Jesus Christ, and through his spirit. We will boast in the Lord. Dear people of God, I have a word from the Lord today. It's a word from the Lord to you, his people. And I tell you, I've thought about this a lot before I say this. Because who are we to stand here and say, this is what God says. It always creates fear in me. But this one I'm confident on. This is a word of the Lord to you, his people. Let the one who boasts, boast in the Lord. Let the one who boasts in the Lord. Amen? Let's pray. Father God, just, um, just pray, oh God, this morning that you would speak to us, your people. Father, let us not grow callous hearts and ears that we just kind of go through the routine of hearing a message or hearing something from your word or from the scriptures. But, oh God, let us have hearts that are, that are soft and humble and contrite ears that are ready to hear, that we might be enlightened to the truth of your word, to understand that, dear God, the power in our lives is not in what we've done, but the power in our lives is you. And that, Father, you work in the weakness of our lives, that you work through us, God, as you chose. Lord, let us be a people that is always seeking after you, growing in Christ and growing in who Jesus is. It's in Jesus' name we pray, amen.